he had a series of subcontractors that had been taking him for years. They'd been lying to him. They had been stealing from him. They had been giving him false pictures and videos and stuff like that. Some, I mean, real shenanigans. We start sensing that some things are going wrong because they're not, they're just not willing to give us pictures of the renovation. So it's like, oh, well, he doesn't have a camera. And I'm like, dude, eh, use your phone. So toward the end of it, I start getting really fed up with it. And so I send an individual inspector out there. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right. So today we are super excited to be here with Buddy Rushing. He is a Marine officer that has built a company called White Feather that works with military people in order to create financial freedom over the past five years they have purchased over one billion dollars in real estate assets um buddy we are super pumped to be talking with you that's obviously extremely impressive but before we get into all that we'd love to kick it off with a story man so out of those investments i'm sure you got a crazy one what has been your craziest real estate extract transaction or experience thus far craziest all right well i'll have to do the one that's involved uh, the police and strippers uh so we um we wanted to do a bird deal i'm going to make this super fast right because this is a big story i use as a case study now inside my real estate accelerator um so uh, a friend of mine and i we were like hey let's going to go do a bird deal uh, had the opportunity to buy this deal in Tuscaloosa, right next to the University of Alabama, right? So we were going to buy it, renovate it, and turn it over for student housing. So a bird deal is where you buy a property, you renovate it, you rent it out, you refinance it, and then you repeat. It's called bird, right? Um, the whole idea is that you can get all your money back out of it. So we bought the property. The general contractor who was going to work on it for me, super good dude, seemed like he was really squared away. Um, what I didn't know at the time is that he he had a series of subcontractors that had been taking him for years. They'd been lying to him. They had been stealing from him. They had been offering, giving him false pictures and videos and stuff like that. Some, I mean, real shenanigans. He didn't know that. And so I didn't know that. And so we went into this, it was an eight, it was a $525,000 purchase. So we bought it cash. My friend and I pooled money together and just boom, right? Bought it cash and it was going to be an $85,000 renovation. Right. So for a total of right around 610,000 or so, and we appraised it, we figured after repair value would be somewhere around 800. So good deal, good deal all around. And then we were going to suck all of our equity back out of it and rent it out. Okay. So we buy it. No problem. Renovation, you know, is proceeding on. And, uh, we start sensing that some things are going wrong because they're not, they're just not willing to give us pictures of the renovation. So it's like, oh, well, he doesn't have a camera. And I'm like, dude, eh, use your phone, right? Like, so we started getting, you know, wind that that was, you know, probably not going in. So I'm fast forwarding a lot of stuff. So basically toward the end, this, this, it was supposed to last three months. It lasted nine months, the renovation, right? So toward the end of it, I start getting, you know, uh, you know, really fed up with it. And so I send an individual inspector out there and you know, they had said, okay, this is ready to go. Let's go ahead and get it rented. But they were so bad at getting it rented that, you know, no one applied. I mean, this is Tuscaloosa this is right next to the campus. It should be easy to rent, but they can't get anybody to rent it. The one person that they approved, this is the property management company. That was the same, same guy, same guy that was, that gave me the deal. He was running the property management company. He said, Hey, I've got a pretty good applicant. Just wanted to run it by you. It's 
uh, a woman named Candy, and she is offering to put the deposit in cash. She doesn't have any credit because she works at a local gentleman's club, but she is willing to offer cash for the deposit, cash for the first couple of months and so on. So I took it to my partner and I was like, bro, I know this has been vacant for like nine months and we're losing money on this thing. I personally, you know, I have nothing against that type of work, but as a tenant, is that the stablest, like, I, you know what I'm saying? So it was a hilarious conversation we had trying to be professional, but at the same time being like, do you rent to someone that right deals in cash only? Like, you know, you know who else deals in cash only drug dealers? Like, right. I, I don't know. And so, so we ended up passing on her. Then we got a notice from the local police department that uh, apparently, you know, that our, we, we, we had gotten cited because uh, the weeds had overgrown at the house, the, the mailbox was overflowing and it looked like a dilapidated house. And so the sheriff's office actually came out and, and cited us for it. So the property manager was not only not putting anybody in the place, but they were, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a dump basically. So when we sent the uh, inspector out there to go look at it, he, he texted me, it was an, I called it a random other inspector, right? I got on Google, called an inspector and uh, he went out there and he said, you are not going to believe, he called me, he goes, you are not going to believe this. He goes, I'm standing on your roof right now. This roof that I had paid $15,000 to have replaced, right? He said, I'm standing on this roof and I've never seen this before in my life. They didn't replace the roof. They spray painted it black. They spray painted the roof black so that it would look new from the ground. He goes, I've never seen this before in my life. And so I was like, oh my God. So at that point, we were like, okay, that's it. I'm taking over this whole project. I, I ended up, um, uh, you know, hiring another property manager. And, you know, within about four days, we had, you know, students in both sides. We rented out both sides. We did do, uh, we, we had to pay an additional like 10 grand to have it, you know, actually finished. We did do the refinance. It did appraise for 800,000 and we pulled all of our money except about $60,000 in it. So we've got, we had a quarter of a million dollars of equity, but only $60,000 left of our money invested in it. Rented out both sides to college kids and we're cash flowing about $1,500 net net per month on that. And so after it was finished and we refinanced it, we were going to put it into an LLC. So I created an LLC and I called it Painted Roof LLC. And so if you look in <laughs> Tuscaloosa and you look at 1021 Queen City Ave, at who owns it, it'll say Painted Roof LLC. That is insane. <laughs> did you guys end up pursuing the roofing company or, or what did you guys end up doing there? So he ended up having a heart attack. So he went, uh, to, this story can go a million different ways. Holy so the contractor moly. himself, so, so the general contractor, the one that was getting taken, he owes me because of this and a few other projects, like $60,000, right? And he's still, I have a check on my, I, from, I don't know if we're videoing this or it's audio. Yeah. I'm not going to show you the actual check, but this is the back of the check. This is from, this is, he sent me a check. He's paying it down. Basically, he owes me a ton of money and he's in the process of paying it down. He ended up folding up the property management company. They filed for bankruptcy. And then he, um, this general contractor is in the process of paying me back. It's been a long, long road. He's still got a lot more to pay, but he went after the subcontractor. It wouldn't be up to me to go after the sub. It'd be up to, up to him. He went after him and I guess the guy got so stressed out that he had a heart attack, ended up going to the hospital. And so I don't know what happened after that. So yeah, it's crazy stuff, man. Dang. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, that banger story, man. So 
first of all, thank you for your service. You are a veteran. It's Veterans Day. So it's so cool and awesome that we get to record this on Veterans Day. So again, thank you for your service. So one of the things that I was so impressed by you in our pre-call show, and you kind of alluded to this a little bit in the way that you, you just took over the project. And so, I mean, in five years, you guys have been able to buy over a billion dollars in real estate as a collective. You are a visionary for sure, but you have this amazing ability to integrate and to find integrators. Can you talk about like the journey of taking over that project and really some of the lessons and the highlights you've learned in building all of these companies that have helped you in, in, in buying a billion dollars in real estate? Yeah. So when it comes to, so I'm, I'm actually, um, probably my, my number one sort of inspiration and hero in the non-real estate world is Elon Musk, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons. And, um, so what he, I remember one time hearing a story about, um, the, the assembly line for Tesla, they were, they had just launched the model three and they got so many subscriptions for the model three, um, that they needed to rapidly scale their production line. And so, you know, he, he existed in this like production hell for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. When it came down to it, in, in order to make it successful, he ended up going over and taking over a portion of the production line himself. Even though it was only one of his companies, even though he was the top CEO and owner of the company, he took over in order to make it, because that was the one log jam that was blocking everything. I think it was the paint shop, actually. It was the one log jam that was stopping the production of this. And so he lived inside the, he slept on the floor and he lived inside this shop and he ran it himself until he got it efficient enough to where they could meet their and exceed their Model 3 production estimations. So while I've never had to do anything that extreme, I take example from that. And I'll tell you, the reason that I took over the Painted Roof Project is because not, it isn't because of that I wanted the project to go well. It's because I needed the project to go well because my partner was a silent partner and he trusted me he was the one that put up the majority of the money. He's got much deeper pockets than me. And so he put up the majority of the money and I would run the whole project. And rather than risk any more time or any more of Justin's money, I was not going to let that happen. I was never going to let that happen. There's no way. And you guys probably know what I'm talking about. If I'm investing my money in something, okay, fine, right? Whatever. If it's somebody else's money that's entrusted to me, the bar is about 40 times higher of what I will do to make sure, like I literally, I've done some crazy stuff in business to make people whole whenever they trusted me and something went wrong. Like I've literally sold my own properties to cover somebody's losses before when I didn't need to, but that's the, the bar, that's the level that I hold myself and Whitefeather to. Um, and it's one of the reasons that the velocity of trust inside this community is lightning fast, right? We had, I told you the story in the pre-call of, of the people that met each other. They had, did, hadn't known each other before they met each other. They were in the white feather group, but they'd never met each other. Um, and they ran into each other and met for the first time. And, you know, we're like, this is awesome. We should do some deals together. And two months later, they closed on a $3 million property in Coronado, raising $1.5 million of white feather investors money. And now that project is crushing. It's a seven unit there in Coronado Island. They didn't even know each other before they met, but two months later, right? The, that velocity of trust is really hard to do. It's rare. And the reason it exists is because white feathers full of people that feel that way about other people's money and, and, and about how to do it. So 
So you had to ask the question about integrator versus visionary. I think that <clears throat> to build a great business, you have to be a visionary, but unless you've done it before, you have to learn how to be an integrator at the beginning. You have to do the work, right? And, and I think that you should, I think that in, eventually when you scale out of it and you bring in somebody to integrate your vision for you, which is the point that I'm at right now, actually, to be honest, I'm ready to get out of the integration and move just to, to the visionary stuff. But I have credibility because I've done all the hard work. I've done all of the, like, I mean, 15 years, bro, of, of, you know, six hour day or eight hour days and six hour nights. That's what I tell people. If you want to build something, right. do you can do it as a side hustle, right. But you need to be willing to put in eight hour days and six hour nights and work on the weekends. And if you're not willing to do that, then it's going to be pretty tough. Absolutely. 100%. And also, you know, it's a lot easier to teach somebody how to do something if you've yeah. done it before. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> it's like, if you have no SOP, if you have no system to give them, it's just like, Hey, here, here's my idea. Go, go, go do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier to, to pass on the knowledge. Um, I love your sense of integrity. Um, when you're talking about, um, working with other people's money. Um, did that come from the military? Your, your yes. full responsibility there. You just said when you're working with other people's money, your, your level of your, basically you say you go up 40 levels because you don't want to risk somebody else's money. Did that come from the military or is that just how you were that, from the beginning? That sense of, um, protecting someone's trust in you. That's what it is. It's not even about money. It's protecting someone's trust and faith in you. In the Marine Corps, Marines follow you, especially in combat, if they trust that you have their best interest and their health and their life and the mission in mind, right? So yeah, yeah, they'll follow general orders just to follow general orders. But when the rounds are coming down range, they will follow people that they believe have their best interest in mind, right? So in that instance, that's a more extreme version than money, obviously. But in that instance, they're trusting you and what you do with their trust. And you've, I've seen it. And you guys have probably heard stories of leaders who break their faith, break faith with their men and their women. And, you know, they lose all credibility and they have no ability to lead anymore, regardless of their rank. So, you know, in business, yes, absolutely. I took that mentality into this business. Um, and, and that's, that's what white feather ultimately is about as a community. I, I describe it to people, people mark all the time about how fast everybody moves how the velocity of trust, like how quickly they trust each other. And they're like, man, I've never seen anything like this on the outside. How is it possible? And I said, well, it's, it's, it's pretty simple, really. The people, right? The people all come from the same background, that background of they've gone through various sort of filters, if you will, right? So the filter of joining the military, the filter of exiting the military successfully and, you know, not getting thrown in jail or kicked out or whatever, right? And then the filter of, you know, everybody in white feather, I know every single person has my cell phone number, every single person I've vetted personally, right? This isn't one of those online organizations with, you know, tens of thousands of people. Those are great, but that's just not the business model for us. So everybody is like from the same background and they have the same sort of expectation of honor and integrity. So, so in general, they're probably going to do the right thing anyway, but there also is an unspoken code inside what it's it's essentially like a wolf pack there's an unspoken code that if you screw anybody over you'll get devoured you and that's me too if if can you imagine if 
if I screwed somebody over in White Feather and word got out about it, it immediately overnight would dissolve. My credibility overnight would dissolve and my ability to do deals, my ability to fill my accelerator, my ability to do anything would immediately dissolve. So anytime we all have temptations, we all have darker natures, right? Everyone does. And you're lying to yourself if you say that you don't. So anytime that temptation comes into my mind, I immediately squash it because number one, it's not, I can't be a leader. I can't have credibility if I, if I do that way. And two, I get devoured because it's a bunch of wolves that are in this community. They're not sheep, right? So anyway, that's why the velocity of trust is so fast in the community. I would really like to dive in this. I got two questions that are just like raging in my mind right now. So I'm going to put them both out there, but take your time in answering them. So the question number one is, can we increase the speed of velocity of trust? Now you have built it specifically where very strategically, I would say with people that have common ground, like, I mean, you see this a lot, like some people like to sell if they're, uh, you know, religious or, or have a faith, they like to sell to people the same faith because the velocity of trust. Mm -hmm. Sure. So maybe that's the easiest and the fastest way, but, but let's say you're, you have a person that's across from you that is not the same in that way. They're not in the military. Is there other ways that you would recommend increasing the velocity of trust? Yeah, it comes down to um, structure and transparency. So when I say structure, I mean, you, everybody has what in the military, we have what's called left and right lateral limits, right? So like if I'm firing and you're like, if, if you're right next to me and you're on my left flank and you're on my right flank and we're all firing our weapons in the same direction, we all have lateral limits. I don't shoot further left than this. I don't shoot further right than this. And so we're able to, there's a whole bunch of reasons you do it, but that's what left and right lateral limits mean. So you give people clear guidelines and clear rules. It's a lot of it's unspoken in this community because we're all from the same background. But if we weren't, I would have a very clear list of guidelines of what you need to act like. Let's say White Feather was not military only. I would have a very clear list of guidelines and rules that can't be broken, right? And I would also demand transparency, right? So you need to be 100% transparent in how much money you're making, what the numbers are in the deal and what your background is and how deep your capital stack is or not how your lack of experience or your experience. Right. And if you're ever caught lying, that's grounds for immediate removal for life. Yeah. So I would put strict rules in place like that, that people have to agree to before they can enter the community. And I can tell you, dude, all you have to do, here's my thesis of how I'm running it and how I attract the right people. It's like the Shackleton ad, right? Remember that? It was like, I'm going to the Arctic, you know, it's gonna be a, a treacherous journey. You know, there's a really good chance you're gonna die, but there's fame and glory for those who make it. And he had, you know, out, lines out the door of people signing up. So it's like the Marines, right? The Marine Corps says, you know, like, it's so funny whenever it's like the Air Force is like, we'll, we'll give you a college education and we'll put you up in a nice bedroom. And the Army's like, we'll train you to be all you can be. And the Marine Corps is like, we will beat the hell out of you. And every once in a while, we'll let you out of your cage to fight. <laughs> sign up here right and and you know the marine corps you know it's like awesome so it, it attracts that type of people now i'm not saying that's how you attract the people i don't know who you're trying to attract into your organization but what i will tell you is there are people that will be excited by the idea of rigid structure they're excited by the idea of rigid accountability and massive transparency and you know, opportunity. You got to do deals though. You got to be crushing deals. Otherwise you're just a really strict, like 
empty box. <laughs> I am so excited for the Marines to pick you back up and let you write their uh, commercial copy. That'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, we will beat exactly. the hell out of you <laughs> and let you out of your cage. <laughs> Love this. The, the next question I had surrounds like you were saying something earlier that really really piqued my interest, and it was it was surrounding people following you in the battlefield when you're under fire. And I might get this wrong, so you can correct me. But you were talking about like a leader when they lose people. Can you kind of go back to that a little bit and talk about like what are the traits that a leader can have that will? Because I've always just assumed people that will desert you in battle would have deserted you anyways. But but I kind of got the sense you were saying like if a leader does certain things, it makes it exponentially more likely someone will follow them, you know, in a battle. Can you can you go into that a little deeper? Yeah. So I mean, the first is is that you you lead by example, right? I have a very clear indication. When I was on my first deployment, I was embedded with the Afghans, right? And so it was like uh, half a dozen Marines, and then we had about 100 Afghan soldiers. And the, the leader of the Afghan soldiers um, was this, you know, captain that in that time, um, they would buy their way, they would buy their commission. So he came from a good family and he bought his commission, but he was very clearly not, he was just trying to get in my opinion, he was just trying to get the combat experience so that he could then go on to politics and things like that. You could, you could tell he did not care at all. Like when he would do inspections, he would just be looking disinterested. He never asked the, the soldiers like how they were. And it all came to a head uh, during our first firefight whenever, you know, we were in this uh, mud, it's called a collot, right? Basically, so it's this mud hut, essentially this big, thick mud hut. And there was this mountain, Peshkina Mountain up north of us. And, you know, the, the anti-coalition militia, the ACM, the, the guys we were fighting at the time would come from Pakistan up the backside of the mountain to a platform there on top of Peshkina and then just rain 107 rockets and PKM fire down on us. And it happened a lot. And so the first time we that happens, you know, your immediate action drill is you start hammering fire back to the wall and then you call in artillery, right, indirect fire. And so we ran to the wall, we started firing back, I called B-Space, you know, fire TRP-123 and so on. And, and, and they ran away, right? He stayed inside the clot the entire time. He came out afterwards, right? After all, you know, and several of his men got killed, several got injured and so on. He came out afterwards and he had no interest whatsoever in seeing to his wounded and dead soldiers. It was only making sure that the fight, fighting had stopped, right? And after that, his very good soldiers would not listen to a single thing that he said. Not a single thing. We ended up having to replace him. So that's, Michael, th those are guys that wouldn't desert somebody who had fought with them, right? But they, and they didn't desert him. They just stopped listening to him, right? That's a guy that lost complete credibility, but because we fought side by side with them, right? And, and it helped that I called in the indirect, right? So, cause that, that made the guys run away. Um, but like they, they would do anything we said, even though we were Americans, they would do anything that we said after that, right? And, uh, and so my point in saying that is that if you want to be a leader, you have to lead by example. So in the real estate world, if I tell you, hey, man, go do a bird deal and you run off and go do a bird deal, that's one thing. But if I instead tell you, hey, I think you should try this investment strategy. Here's what I did. Here's what I'm doing right now that's working, right? Like I'm buying land and developing and, and building rental properties in Southwest Florida, right? I had uh, a bunch of white feather people that came along with me, right? And then 35 of them have bought lots and, and now they're in the process of building too. 
But I would have not had any credibility if I had said, just go buy lots in Southwest Florida and go build rental properties. Instead, that same guy, the painted roof guy, Justin and I put together a, um, an LLC called Two Man Wolfpack. So if you look up Two Man Wolfpack LLC, you'll see it owns 20 lots in Cape Coral. Um, so, you know, and we're building, right? So that gives me credibility, because, but if I didn't have that, then it's very hard to lead, right? Without a doubt. Um, thank you so much for that story. Um, it reminds me of um, Band of Brothers, right? I mean, I don't know if you've Absolutely. seen the show, but the the guy at the beginning, Sopo, right? I mean, he was he was a tremendous um, leader of men in terms of conditioning and things of that nature. But once it came to strategy, the dude knew right. nothing, right? So, I mean, basically, um, he lost the faith of the whole Easy Company because of his inability to lead people on the field. But he was actually a great, you know, drill sergeant. I, I, you know, he's good I think that. it was a fantastic, um, <laughs> one, one, that's a fantastic show. I've seen it many times. And two, yeah. that was a great example of what it means to lose faith in your, you know, it was soldiers that, for him, but to lose faith in, and it's the same thing if you're leading you asked the question originally, did, did it transfer? Did I bring stuff from the military into, into business? Absolutely, all of it. Everything that I do, I learned to some degree because ultimately it's just about connecting with people and providing value, right? In the military, the value was leadership and, and training and, and so on. Here, the value is training and leadership, and, but it's just focused on building financial freedom through real estate. Absolutely. And I love that you're focused so much on inspiring people that, you know, are like you because you focus on people that served as well. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Like what drew you to um, helping military people, ex or current military people drive towards financial freedom through the avenue of real estate? Yeah, it's uh, it was a hard decision, a really hard decision, because it, I mean, I did for 10 years, my wife and I just we bought you know, rental properties and we learned and we educated ourselves. We took all the expensive courses and all that other stuff. And it was just us building our own thing and me talking about it to other military people while we're on deployment or whatever. I mean, I had many, many conversations in the, in the back of an MRAP, just like, you know, talking about real estate, right? Cause you know, nothing else to do. So, um, so that was a part of it. And then whenever the original idea that I had was, Hey, why don't I help people buy turnkey rentals? Like I'm doing right. So I didn't want to build a turnkey rental business, but I knew people that provided turnkey rentals. And I was like, well, all you need to do is know how to run the numbers and educate yourself a little bit. And you know, then you can buy these things. It's not that hard. Right. And so that was the original idea was helping my friends buy those. And they just happened to most, mostly be military. Then once that became extremely popular and it was like, holy cow, this is a real business. I got together with a friend of mine who's not a military guy. He's a civilian. He, uh, uh, and he was, but he's a business developer. He actually invented earbuds. Uh, you guys oh. remember the earbuds? Like, yeah. So he invented and built that up, sold it out for a whole bunch of money and then came out to California. Uh, so he's a, he's a one, dear friend of mine. I trust him implicitly. And he, uh, and he said, you, you've got a decision, right? Do you focus on everybody? Cause people will want this regardless of who they are, or do you want to focus on the military? Now you're cutting out 99% of the population. If you focus on the military. And so that was a big deal. And so I said, you know, I have a, and this is ultimately the real mission of White Feather, because um, it's creating financial freedom is a great lofty goal. But the way I define freedom is it's freedom from and freedom to. Freedom to do all the things that you think about, travel the world and have time with your family and so on and so on. But it's also freedom from pain. And there is a lot of pain in the military, right? 
when you transition out of the military and you in a in a matter of an hour from the second you get your paperwork to the second you leave the base you lose your uniform you use you lose your community you lose your sense of purpose you lose your paycheck you lose your sense of 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 um, pride in that and it's all gone and then you go out into the real world and you try to apply the skills that you developed of diffusing ieds and sh calling in artillery fire and you know what i'm saying like none of that stuff is applicable in in the real world because nobody's by and large laying ieds in america so you so you don't have that same so you're forced to get whatever job you can and invariably it is not as rewarding as leading marines and so you lose all of that at once and a lot of people they they use unhealthy means to cope drinking pills drugs suicide that's why the veteran homelessness population is three times what it, what the civilians is so there's a lot of pain in that community and i know that pain because i grew up on WIC and food stamps below the poverty line in you know northeast uh, tennessee and it was everywhere abuse and drugs and 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 the death of dreams was really the the the, the sickest thing i ever saw was not the bruises it was not the drugs it was not any of that stuff. It was the the hopelessness, the death of dreams is what I call it. And it, it's like a virus, right? And so, and that comes along, unfortunately that comes along with being poor. A lot of times it does, and it's not their fault. It's just, I've been there, right? So freedom from that life, from that embarrassment, from passing on a legacy of that, right? That freedom from is just as important to me as freedom to. And so when I decided to focus on the military, it was because there was so much pain. Love this. I'm writing this down. Freedom from versus freedom to love that. Yeah, this is brilliant. Um, Matt, I'll let you take the question. I just want to make a comment. Like when you're talking about people living the mil or leaving the military rather and, and kind of losing their whole identity. I've heard professional athletes in particular also yes. struggle with the same yeah, thing. Right. It's like the day you retire, all of a sudden everything you know is over and, and you're, you know, you're just a regular person again. So go ahead and jump in, man. I just thought that was. A yeah, I just think analogy. that what we're talking about right now. So. Uh, applicably flows into the thing that we talked about pre-call, which is education and empowerment, which obviously is a step out. Before we do that, though, I want to ask an off-the-wall question. Everything that I hear from you is in pairs or in twos, education and empowerment, inspiration, revelation. I asked you an off-the-cuff question earlier, and you said structure and I forget the second word. Transparency. Transparency. Thank you. Yeah. Do you think in pairs? Is, is, is that a strategy or is that just a happenstance? You know what? The reason that I love talking to you, and I've, I've said this before in the pre-call, and, and I'll say it again. You are such a self-aware person. No one who is not self-aware would ever notice that I speak in pairs. And to be honest, I didn't know that. So it makes sense to me because probably of my linear brain. And it makes sense to me because I like things balanced. And, you know, I, what I find is that, you know, when things are balanced, I'm, I'm more able to control them. Um, 
That's a great question. The, the I, reason, I, don't, the, I guess I do think in pairs. Well, the reason I ask it, because I feel like we're on a similar wavelength, as you're kind of pointing out, which is like, I like tension. Sure. So I like an idea, and I recognize that an idea has an apparent strength and an apparent weakness all in one. And then, so I always want to juxtapose that thing with its opposite and then find the tension where the, where the magic happens. You know, it's like, well, you know, we want to live, live a great life. You know, we want to work hard and make money, but we don't want to like, you know, be a slave to it. Like, like this opposite idea. So I I was just kind of curious if it stemmed in that. Um, All right. So let's take, let's go into education and empowerment because you left us off with this idea of hopelessness and what a terrible place to be. in. so I'm, I'm so thankful you're on the mission you're on. But tell us how. Tell us about the two E's and how that helps solve some of this. It's it's everything, right? So um, I describe it like this: the reason people, when people jump into real estate, they tend to do one of two things. They tend to, in Paris, they tend to educate themselves endlessly, right? That's that's probably the most common. Is they'll go on bigger pockets. They'll listen to all the the podcast, they'll read all the blogs, they'll listen to this podcast, they'll read books, they'll, they'll do everything except take action, right? They just, and the reason is it's understandable, right? They're deep inside their comfort zone, but they're getting the little dopamine hits that new, that learning something gives you. That, so it makes sense, right? It's like, it, it feels good. It feels good to educate yourself. It feels good to post on social media, building something big, about to hit the grind and all of that. And everybody's congratulating you and high-fiving you for what you're going to do, right? That's very, very, very common. Probably the most common thing. The second thing is a little more dangerous, a little less common, but it's people that take action without bothering to do self-development, personal development, education, join a mastermind, pay for a coach, whatever, right? It's people that just go out there and take action. Now, sometimes in an up market, those people have success and then they go write books and then in a, when the market turns, everything collapses, right? Or if they're in a normal market, they tend to have moderate success, if any. Right, a lot of struggles and things like that because they just don't know what they don't know, right? And uh, I have, by the way, this is not me condemning either of those types of people. I have been both of those types of people at some point in my life. Okay, so that's so just to be clear, uh, my first deal is actually the worst deal that I've ever done. We don't have time for it right now. You can find it on another podcast or if you just Google it. Um, but it was the Sun Valley deal, worst deal I've ever done. I had no clue what a cash flow analysis even was. I didn't even know what a real estate market was when I did that deal. If you had said, define what the real estate market is, I would not have been able to tell you, right? Just a Cliff Notes version. I bought it in June of 2007. June of 2007 is when I bought this unrenovated house, putting money, getting ready to, to just completely renovate it and flip it. That's when I did it, right? So you can, I still own that property, right? So uh, <laughs> um, anyway, so education and empowerment, right? When I look at those, so if you notice one of those types of people, they just educate. The other type, they just take action. So in my opinion, it's like your left and right leg, right? If your left leg is education, your right leg is empowerment or action, and you only execute one of those, you're just going to turn around in circles. You're not going to move forward to the direction that you're trying to go to. So if you instead educate yourself with your left foot, and then you take action with your right, and then you educate yourself a little more, and then you take action again more, when you combine those two things, you do move forward. So everything that we do is focused on action with an educational backbone, right? Action first, because if you're gonna do anything, I'd rather you take action and you can, everything is figure outable. Make the offer, get in escrow. If you get the offer accepted and you're freaking out because you don't know what you're doing, text me, send me an email. 
everything's figure outable, right? Without a doubt. Yeah, what a tremendous analogy with the feet. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, um, one of the previous guests said this. I'll steal it all the time. You know, um, ignorance on fire is going to beat knowledge on ice 10 times 100%. out of 10. But as you said, <laughs> as you said, you still need that balance, right? So, I mean, you know, you take that massive action and you continue to educate yourself. You're going to take leaps forward Imagine over what time. Knowledge on fire action is more. Important. Know, like, yeah, exactly. Is... Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ignorance and knowledge on fire. There's the ultimate equation right there. Um, so I was curious because you focus a lot on empowering people and you work particularly with people in the military. So I'm wondering if there's um, any patterns that you've noticed. Do you, do you notice a um, struggles that come up consistently? And if so, how do you tend to walk them through that? The biggest struggles, and just to be clear, I, I, I we also work with uh, – family members of the military. So it's like the USA model, right? If you served or your dad served or your sister or your son or whatever. And we did that just because we had plenty of family members that were like super eager. And they're like, you know, hey, my husband was in the Marine Corps and, and but I'm super interested to get it. So the reason that we're, we're good with that is because it is helping a military family, right? So the idea is to help military families. And so it's a little bit of a nuance, but, um, but, it, but to your question of patterns, the biggest pattern I would say that stops people from doing things is that they think that um, they think they need to have all of the resources before they can can buy real estate, right? And by resources, I mean obviously money, you know, uh, all of the information, inside scoops on deals, all the team built out, and so on. The, people, that's the biggest limiting factor. Is people think they don't know those things, and so they think, oh, well, I need all these things. Well, I don't have time because I have a full time job. And then that's the end of it, Boom. right? So once you sort of show people that that's not in fact the case, um, that you have, as long as you have, you know, everything, Google is such an amazing tool. It's the most powerful tool you can possibly have at your disposal because everything, the answer to every question you could possibly have can be found on Google. Isn't that crazy? So, I mean, yeah, you, you want to build a team? In Tuscaloosa, do you know how I found that inspector and that property manager in Tuscaloosa? Google. Do you know how I, you know, figured out how much the rent would be? Google. I Googled, how do you figure out rents? And it brought me to rentometer.com, right? It, you know, literally like everything, every, you know, I, I once, last year I bought a 22 property portfolio for $3.1 million in Lehigh Acres, Florida. And the idea was to sell off individual properties to as turnkey rentals to white feather investors and pay off the underlying debt and then keep the remaining things. <clears throat> I never bought a portfolio before. I didn't even know where Lehigh Acres was, right? I didn't know that it was in Florida, right? And it was a deal that an accelerator student brought to me. And he was like, I think this might be a pretty good deal. What do you think? By the way, he ended up, I ended up giving him a $50,000 wholesale fee for that. He didn't, and, and you know, he just brought the deal, right? Um, but anyway, and that turned into a tremendous, it turned into the biggest invest deal that I've ever done. And I didn't know how to buy a portfolio. I didn't know how to really sell properties, you know, from a portfolio as turnkey rentals. I didn't know how to borrow private capital. Not really. I mean, I knew the gist, but I had never really done it in that degree. Every single thing I Googled and everything I figured out and verified with people and then executed. I'd so. like to tie this into, I, I'm just so in love with the analogy of the walking. Like, I think it's such a great and I'm like English illiterate, so I don't know if it's 
metaphor or analogy or what it is, but whatever picture that you painted for us of one leg before the other. So I want to bring that into this story to like maybe drive them both home. So essentially that's a big freaking action step. That's like hopping on one leg, right? I'm, I'm going to, you know, you're committing a certain level of education requirement by buying something of that size without having, like you listed off like five or six things that you didn't know how to do within that. Can you walk us through a couple things? One, what sort of education, how'd you go about getting it on the fly? And then, but maybe the first thing I want you to answer is where did you learn or where did you, how did you shift your identity in life to have that level of fearlessness? Oh, uh, it helped that the first deal that I ever did was just gut wrenching, eye bleeding kind of bad. Um, and you know, it was, uh, it turned out though, that doing a bad deal in real estate, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. And I will tell you this, and this is not going to be terribly relatable and I apologize for that. Um, but it, but you asked the question and this is the truth. You can ask my wife whenever things are really stressful when things are really bad, um, and I, and I have those bad times, just like anybody else does, I always remind myself that nobody's shooting at me. Right. So, and that's not, um, that's not meant to sound flippant, right? So when, um, when someone is shooting at you, everything else fades away, like everything, your bills, your, you know, um, the, the, the amount of sleep you got the night before, how hungry you are, even if you have to, you know, I don't know if you're literally the only thing that matters is staying alive. That's it. Right. And it's actually not super awesome, right. Getting shot at, right. It's, it's would recommend against it. And so any problem that you deal with in real estate, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how big the lawsuit is. I don't care how much money you're losing. No one's shooting at you, bro. And so it's not that big of a deal. And so you don't need to scream at me because you're, you know, your tenant trashed your house, right? Chill out, right? Nobody's shooting at you. And so that's me talking to myself, by the way. So like that to me, and I apologize that it's probably not relatable to most of the people that listen to this, but what I would suggest is find something in your life that is real. You don't have cancer right now, right? You can still see. You didn't have a horrible accident yesterday and lose your eyesight. Can you imagine how little you would care about tenant issues if you lost your eyesight, right? So, so take it to that level. And when you do, it reframes life about what's important and what's not important in life and how much you should take something seriously. And I don't mean not take it seriously, right? Crush business, right? Take it seriously, work hard. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about allowing it to defeat you emotionally, right? So that's it. I, I would say, take it to that. And you, I told you before, Tim, I was like, you were saying something about small talk. And I was like, trust me, I'm allergic to small talk. If we don't talk about something deep, <laughs> then it's wasting our time. And nobody knows how much time we have on this planet. None of us do, right? And so if we are truly taking each opportunity to, to make our dent, in the universe. And I don't even like Steve Jobs, but I love that quote, right? Like to make our dent in the universe. If we're taking the skills and the abilities and the, the gifts that were given to us in this life to make our impact, then you can't take, you can't let the small stuff kill you, right? Just chill out, 
right? Focus on the important things. <laughs> and you know what the greatest antidote to feeling bad for yourself is? Take action. Without a doubt. Um, first off, I just want to compliment you. I, I love your energy, man. Like, um, there's like this intensity coming from you right now. Like, it's almost like, yeah, I mean, it's like you're coming after me, but it's also like, thank you for all this knowledge, man. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it's really next level. So thank you so much for bringing that energy to the show. Um, I'll try to simplify your, your analogy for the for the audience a little bit like nobody's getting shot at here we actually did a show with a cop right so he's a detective um so he kind of said it the same way you did but he's like nobody's dying right so i mean i think anybody could relate Absolutely. to that nobody's dying here everybody's alive right so i mean we have a problem we need to find a solution and there's always a solution to every problem so just go find yeah. it and figure it out right Perfectly um, said. oh man this is tremendous stuff um so i'm curious like um what are you guys' plans for the next 12 months or so? What are you guys building right now over at White Feather? Excuse me. Yeah, so we're um, just the the normal stuff that you that we normally do, which is we bought up you know a whole bunch of properties in Northeast Florida, uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville Beach. We're running them as short term rentals. So we and by a lot, I mean like 150 units or so. It's like 50 million dollars worth of real estate. So that's a big. That's a big project, a big series of projects. And a lot of those still need to get stabilized. And so stabilized, meaning we're renovating them, we're, we're renting them out and so on. And so that's, that's going to be a portion of it. Um, we also are building all of that, right? So we have 55 lots in Cape Coral. So we're building rental properties, you know, four bedroom, two bath uh, rental properties in Cape Coral. So that's going to happen next year as well. And then, uh, you know what, I'll just say it. I don't, this isn't exactly like a secret, although it's very exciting for us. I have in front of me right now, um, the notes that I've been taking, uh, I'm going through a subject to a creative acquisition course, because I believe that in the world that we live in right now for time, for a lot of things that I don't have the time to go over, but there are literally probably eight or nine major, major macro and micro market factors that push me toward believing that for the prepared subject to and creative acquisition investor, there is going to be a generational amount of deals available in the coming 24 months. And so I'm building out an entire arm of white feather, an entire acquisition arm that I think will be the largest thing that we've ever done. Um, and that's going to, it's going to be focused entirely on marketing to, um, motivated sellers that don't have, um, the ability to sell right to, to standard buyers because they're going to get a 7% interest and they're only going to be able to afford so much cash buyers only want a 40% discount, but I'm going to be able to go in there and give them full price and just hundred percent, especially because I mean, you're dealing a lot with people that have VA loans or can get VA loans and so on and so forth. In most, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, most VA loans are assumable even by non-veterans. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 All VA loans are assumable and you can assume, that's a great point. Uh, a non-veteran can assume a veteran's loan that the entitlement just stays with it. So they, that veteran can't then go use their use that, that, that entitlement. Yep. Exactly. Which, which is nuts because yeah. I'm assuming so you're also learning this. Yep. Subject to. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so it's, it's, it's the whole, it's the whole gamut of creative acquisition, right? And th this was very popular back in the eighties. Uh, and then it kind of, you know, fell out of favor as bank rates became super low, but now that they're coming back, like it's something that, that 
it, a lot of people still won't do it. Institutional investors, there's no way they create a creative acquisition arm. Hedge funds, foreign investors, they're all going to continue just buying cash. There's no way they do this. So they're not competition. Your average mom and pop investor, you know, this is confusing to them. So they're not going to spend the time. But for the people that take the time to understand how to structure creative financing, how to structure seller financing, sub two and, you know, um, assignments and taking over, you know, assumption of somebody's loan or, or a wrap mortgage or an AITD, when you know all of that stuff and can execute it, you have no competition. You have the ability to solve the seller's problem. And oftentimes you can walk into equity with zero money down and none of your own financing. And, Crazy. and a bigger win for Crazy the seller. Stuff. Like, you know, a lot of it's like, well, you learn this stuff so you could take greater advantage of people, but this is not the case. Like with these not tools, all. this is the inverse inverse completely it's the inverse mm -hmm. of that absolutely like you only get the deal if you make it better for the seller than they're finding elsewhere yes that's the only way you get the deal so literally it is you you're the only way you can have success in this is by structuring a more favorable deal for the seller than they can get elsewhere 100 otherwise they just sell it on the market yeah and it and it's often a great deal for the end tenant too if you're doing yep. a wrap like yeah. you said you know this person Typically doesn't have great credit, but they might yep. have awesome income. And there's an abundance of these people in the market right now. Like, as you said, I'm totally agree with you. Um, there is just a massive opportunity for people getting into creative finance. All right. Yeah. So Go I've got a question and I'm going to add some components and I'm trying to keep leveling this question up. I just asked it on the last episode. And so, because I want to know like, what's, what's the secret sauce? What's the most important thing? And so the question is generally, okay, would you rather... If you, if you could only have one, would you rather have relationship or skills? But I'm going to actually add a few few things to this. If you could have only one and it's relationship, skills, self-awareness, or your portfolio, you can only take one. So whichever one you pick, you lose all the other three. What would it be? A single relationship? So No, no, no. So, so you, if, you, if you don't choose relationship, you lose all of your existing working relationships. They're all gone. So okay. you could you could choose skills, okay. all the skills you built, the self awareness that you have, the portfolio that you built, or relationships. Whew. Okay, well let's take it one at a time. I dropped the portfolio first, right? That that easy, right? Because with relationships and skills and all that, portfolio can be built easily. So that may sound crazy to somebody that I would drop a multi million dollar portfolio first without question, without even a thought, but. If that shocks you, I would suggest that you start studying entrepreneurs and start really looking at the true power of an entrepreneur. It is in their network. It is in their skills. It is in their self-awareness. It's not in their portfolio, right? So portfolio drop off. The other three, man, that's hard. Um, skills can be developed. It's taken me 15 years to build mine. So that's hopefully I would be able to do it faster. If I had the current relationships, I think I could. Relationships can be built, but that takes a lot of time, right? And self-awareness, God, that's a good one too. Wow. Uh, man, this one is really, really hard because those are critical. I, I would suggest that you start with self-awareness, then you build skills while also, you know, building your network over time, but you said I could only take one. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it, but, right? But, but this you is don't not something you don't that have you can to easily fast. answer. You do not have to get to it fast. And, and so I don't ask the question just to get the end answer of which one you pick. I ask the question yeah. to listen to your journey because 
I, I personally think there's so much value in the way that you're thinking through this for people because you, you've bought a billion dollars of real estate. You have insane self-awareness. Yeah. You have all these things and the way that you process. So yeah. and almost in, in a sense, I'm kind of selfishly hoping you'll take a while to answer this question and, and just kind of, even if it's like a more of a brainstorming, like kind of dump your brain on us as you answer this question. It, you, this guy, Tim, I know you probably know this, like he is a gift to have around. Can you believe like, you, you really are so insightful. You're one of the most insightful people that I've ever, definitely one of the most insightful on a, on a podcast, right? Because most, most podcast interviewers are, let's be honest, they're following a script, right? Uh, this is the furthest Without thing. A doubt. The, and you should have a script. I'm not saying you don't have a script. I'm saying, <laughs> right. goodness gracious, like your level of insightfulness is unreal. It's very cool. So, okay. Thank you. So here's the thing. Um, Self-awareness. It is also about maturity. It's also about understanding who you are, understanding your limitations. It's about really caging and being able to limit your ego, right? Because there's a time and a place for ego. And, and, and the way that I look at ego, it needs to be something that you know the ins and outs of. If you lose your ego completely, then you lose part of your identity, right? So when people say, oh, just get rid of your ego, don't get rid of your ego, right? What they're saying is don't be a dick, right? Like they're, 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 that's what they're saying by get rid of your ego. Right? The lack of, the lack so, of humility, so I agree right? with that, by the way. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that completely, right? Completely. I mean, we, I, I literally am just in the middle of, of reading um, Super Pumps, The Battle for Uber. And Travis Kalanick is a perfect example of somebody that had the world at his fingertips, but he destroyed his own standing in that world by himself. Like he literally did it. If he had not been such a D-bag, he would have been still at the helm of Uber. Like, and, and, and it was very clear, right? And so, um, and so that's what they mean by get rid of your ego. But I think the ego is an incredibly important part to have because it's part of your identity and it also helps you overcome, it helps you build confidence in yourself. Like, because if you, if you lack confidence in yourself, it ekes out of you and people hear it and they feel it and they'll never follow you and they'll never want to do business with you. So having your ego understand your own power and your own unique skill set and your own unique sphere of genius. So people ask you, you should ask yourself this question. What am I uniquely good at? And what do I love to do? What is autotelic for me? Like for instance, this right here, this conversation is autotelic for me. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not going to make any money off of this. It doesn't matter. It's fun because well, number one, you guys are fun to talk to. And this is also a really important topic to me, right? We're talking about changing people's lives. And so find what you're uniquely good at and what is autotelic for you, meaning you enjoy it just to do it, right? Um, and so focusing on that and, and being self-aware means that you understand that about you, right? So that's such a critical thing, man. If, at the risk of saying that relationships... I, 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 relationships are incredibly important. My best deals come from relationships. My best times come from relationships, but relationships can be built and they can be rebuilt. Meaning if you, if I lost all of my relationships right now, I know where to go build these relationships again. And so I would maybe drop that off as well. It, that's crazy to say because but right dude, now, I, I happen, me, like, I think I most? agree with you. Like, I think the insight that's coming out of you right now is so, and because, because I, I've never asked the question with four things. But it's like, okay, skill seems to drop off right away too, because 
the skills might not be relevant if you don't have self-awareness to know where your zone of genius is. So you might build the wrong skills. And the relationships even to some degree are contextual to where you're heading. Because it's like, okay, you want great friends, but a great friend that's your drinking buddy is different than a great friend that is... Yes. Yes. That's such a huge deal. I know the answer to this now, right? It is self-awareness. Because without self-awareness, the friends that you build, the relationships that you build, I call it, um, in, in whenever I coach people on this, I'm trying to draw out what it is they're trying to accomplish and why they're trying to accomplish it so that we can, and how I put it is, set your ladder on the proper building. If you, you can climb the ladder all you want, but if it's leaned against the wrong building, you're not trying to get up that building, you're going to get to the end and you're going to be like, okay, well, I'm in the wrong place, right? So you have to set your ladder against the right building to begin with. So if you are not self-aware of what you're trying to accomplish and what you're uniquely good at, what you love to do, you're going to realize that you got involved in the minutia and you built a successful business that you hate, right? And there's nothing more depressing <laughs> yeah. than talking to somebody who is wealthy, who has worked really hard and built up all of this stuff, who does not have an enjoyable life. I'm like, wow, was that a waste? You should have just like sat on the beach. You'd, you'd, you know, you'd be just as miserable as you are right now. Cause you'd be broke, but you know, you spent all that time working. Right. And so I, the answer to this question for me is I would choose self-awareness first and I would build skills and relationships simultaneously. And then that would result in a portfolio. Great question. What a tremendous answer. Great question. What a tremendous answer. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it was a great question. So he asked it on the last show. He was like, um, he asked relationships or skills. And I was just like, relationships, hands down. I wouldn't even consider it. Um, but when you add the four, I wrote it down right away, how I ranked them. Number one for me, easily self-awareness. Number two is relationships. Number three, skills. Number four, portfolio of business, whatever. I could, I could redo that. Um, I, agree, I agree with that hierarchy. <laughs> um, so... Um, and, um, I, I, I put self-awareness number one, and I was somebody that was painfully not self-aware previously before meeting Matt. So, I mean, that was a nice, um, that was a nice intuitive connection that you made there because I'm much more self-aware now than I was previously. And that has been a major driving Matt, how force did you, in my how, life and in my business. I got a question about this, right? You're, yeah. you're, you are, like I told you, one of the most inside I'm trying to think in my head of people that are more in tune with like what they're trying to, you know, thinking about thinking, right. And, and things like that. So how did you develop that framework and skill? Um, well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So let me try and give you the, uh, the journey without an hour or 10 hours or, or whatnot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my brain is mathematical. And so the way I think about the body is like in three. So you have like your very rational center, you have your emotional center and you have your intuitive center. So generally I operate from my intuitive center. So, you know, my instincts and I also am fairly in touch with, with my rational side. So most people by nature have one that is like super dominant, one that is middle dominant, and then one that is like neglected, which for me is emotional. Mm -hmm. So you see this in, you know, intuitive people, hyper intellectuals, those type of things. So well, what happens when you are uh, deficient in emotional intelligence uh, by nature? Well, you, you don't usually build a lot of friends. You have all these kinds of problems. You're sure. nerdy. You know, I wore flannel when flannel was not in. Like, you know, you just a lot, miss a lot of sure. cues. So 
you start picking up on this, but it's sometimes it's hard to pick up when you're not uh, naturally gifted. And finally, somebody that's close to you just has to tell you, like you have a personality deficiency, you have these things. So I started picking up clues and, and I was, I have a, a deep connection to my faith, which does tie me to some degree of emotionality. So I, I started recognizing that I need to be better, like understanding emotions, but it's hard when you're not wired that way. So I had to take a scientific approach to understanding emotions, which led me to study all of the psychometric testing, you know, your disc profiles, Enneagrams, all these types of things. Mm -hmm. And so as you start to go this route, that like, that's how, what I had to do. Like I had to take an analytical approach to emotional intelligence and, and, you know, typical to like someone that has like, you know, Asperger's or, or, or whatever, maybe I do, I've never been diagnosed, but, but that, that was the journey. Well, when people are naturally gifted, it's hard for them to explain things because they're just naturally good. For me, it's very easy to see things because I had to painstakingly work for them because I could see the value value of those things. So that's, that's been my journey is I have an absolute fascination with those things because I know the value that they hold in the real world. And I know that, um, you know, I wasn't naturally gifted with them. It's, it's, natural like it, it makes sense that your uh, explanation is just as interesting and fascinating as as the reason or as the the um, execution itself what i would say and you know hopefully this is not a surprise to you that is a massive value that you bring to your relationships so lead with that right and build a business around it honestly like there's no reason whatsoever that you can't monetize the heck out of that because it's so valuable thank you so yeah. Well, dude, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's like, I mean, it's, it's, you could tell it's a passion, right? So like that, that is one of the things that I discovered in the journey of developing emotional intelligence was the passion. Like I might even get emotional, the, the passion for like figuring out what it is you're supposed to do in life. And so I've always been a fairly confident, energetic person, but when you move from something like, okay, so we talk about the three centers, this could provide probably a ton of value to people people that hate their job are probably not aligned in any of them. And a lot of people do well in life when they move from not being aligned in their job to having at least one level of alignment, which is typically aptitude. At at some point, people usually find out, hey, I'm naturally good at this and they go do that. But that is a far cry from having alignment with both aptitude and like your heart, which is your mission. And then there's, there's also the instinctual alignment. And if you get like a triple alignment, like it is a fundamentally different life for you when you have that. And people talk about do what you love, right? Which I would generally describe as you, you have alignment with your heart. But if you have alignment with your heart, alignment with your aptitude and alignment with your instincts, like I just know that like when I do podcast day, like I get to ask these questions, you're thankful for them. I am like, I get done after like literally it's a 12 to 15 hour day when we do podcast days. I am more energetic at the end of the day than when I start today. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's alignment. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like yeah. that's to your point, which is, you know, self-awareness it, that is, that is the foundation for purpose and happiness and providing value. Um, so yeah. gosh, yeah. man, this is yeah, way absolutely. too much fun. I, it's yeah. It's, I will tell you that, that that's also, not only is that really valuable for people listening who are trying to, you know, um, to build a successful life, <laughs> but it's also really helpful in building a successful business because people can feel 
or not your organic passion for what you do, right? You guys can feel it off of me and you can tell that it's the truth. You cannot deny, no one can deny because I can't deny, right? It's the most common thing that's said to me whenever people hear me speak is, wow, like you are, like your passion is just like contagious. And the reason is because it's 100% real and you know that. If it was staged or polished or, I, you know, I was I was hitting you with just like colloquialism after colloquialism, if it was like well rehearsed, you know how it feels, right? When something is like, it's it's they're saying all the right things, but you can tell it's rehearsed, right? You you know that feeling inside you. You, you maybe can't, you know, uh, frame it in your mind, but you can feel it in your stomach. It's like this twisting kind of ugh feeling, right? And you can feel when it's true and organic. It's it's their DNA. And you're like, whoa, like, why am I attracted to that? Why is my skin tingling? Why do I feel more alive right now? And it's because this is how we were meant to be at our highest energetic levels, right? When we're most in tune with what our purpose is in life. And, and so that's, that's a great way to build a business, man, because you can raise capital easily. You can have people invest in your deals. You can have people want to sell you deals. People want to sell to people that they know, like, and trust, right? Like is a part of that, right? And I'm not a naturally likable person. You can ask my wife. I, some people find me, like, dismissive. Some people, like, you know, I, I dare say that pe- there are some people that probably would say that I'm, I'm rude. And it isn't because I actively try to be rude. It's because I focus my time and attention and my energy on people that I feel vibrate at the same level. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I've spent over an hour with you guys on here and I'm having a great time. I actually canceled my three o'clock. Um, that's why I was typing. I canceled my three o'clock cause I knew this was going to go long, but this was more important than my three o'clock. Mm. So, you know, for you guys, it's like, it's not, it's not that I'm, you know, I love people and I love humans and, and everything like that. It isn't that I'm trying to be dismissive. It's that I just know that I only have 24 hours and it's like, where do I want to spend my time, right? With my wife and children, for sure, they're more important to me than anybody in the world. But what about outside of them? It's going to be with people that vibrate on the same level I do. It has to yeah. be. Yeah. And I want to dive deep on this because... I've been hearing a lot of people talk about, you know, you got to level up your friends and and generally the natural the natural progression of thought for most audience members is well, it's a lack of care for the people that you're moving on to. And and I want to I want to fundamentally address that line of logic and I want to also like address a few other things with that because like you talk about limited time, 100% true. The energy difference when you when you are with people where there's alignment is unbelievable and the value difference so like when i'm doing this with you you are praising me you're like getting hyped we're having so much fun uh, most of the people will we'll say like probably 70% of the people in my life if i had a conversation like this they're doing one of a couple things like hey you're a nerd you're a this you're it's labels like not necessarily i'm not like always super negative but it's just like at a minimum it's like some neutral label and then you go around people like they they see the value so differently so like just a huge encouragement to people like one of the things that you get when you level up is that you get people that value your gifting more than the other people that you're hanging out with and you you release the people that you were hanging out with to go along with people that that value them more and they value more and so 
it was something that my, my sales manager taught me that was just like one of the greatest gifts. He let go of people so fast, like fired them. And he always called it like, I'm releasing them to the wild. Like, why do I want to have a hook in this fish? Like I'm keeping them from their best opportunity and we're keeping us from our best opportunity. So yeah, dude, like it's so thankful that you went into that. I heard it. Um, so one of the things that I did, uh, this is kind of an interesting side note that you, you may probably have, would not have known. Um, my wife and I, uh, for probably three or four years, we uh, were part of a, um, a network marketing business. It was like health shakes, right? And, it, you know, network marketing has its place. It's great. You know, and then there's a lot of amateurs that like really are annoying. But like, it, but in and of itself, the industry itself, it serves a purpose, right? But what I got from it more than anything else was personal development, huge amounts, huge amounts. They were encouraged to do huge amounts of self-development, personal development um, with some really high level um, educators and mentors and so on. One of the things that I learned that I have kept since then, it's like similar to what you just said, is bless and release. <laughs> Whenever, and what I mean by that is like, if somebody is not a good fit for your business, your life, your, and I'm talking about some of these people are gonna be your family right? Some of these people, this person might be your spouse. Okay. Right. Eric Thomas says it great. He goes, you know, if you, you know, you have to love yourself enough to get rid of the people that are sucking your energy. Right. And he's a lot more, I love ET. He's a lot more energetic and everything like that. But, but a nicer way to put it is bless and release. You're not trying to make people feel bad. You're not trying to be mean. There's no reason whatsoever to ever be mean or, or, or belittle somebody or make them feel bad because they're not a part of your group or whatever, even if they have insulted you or even if they have taken advantage of you, right? I had a guy that's like, I'm not going to get into the details, but he basically took advantage of me by feeling super entitled about a deal that we were doing and just, just was adamant that he should get, you know, X and it was, you know, it was unfair, way unfair to me. I ended up giving it to him and gently removed him from the white feather community. And he is now no longer a part of, a part of the billion dollars of acquisition. He now no, no longer gets invited on any of the calls. He no longer gets invited to any of the, any opportunities that I've created since then. Right. But I gave him the extra money he wanted. I gave him the, you know, it, it was, he probably walked away from that thinking he won the fight because to me, it wasn't a fight. I was, I am on this journey. And it's a beautiful journey. It's a journey of passion and success and of giving and of abundance and of life. I'd love to have you on this journey, but if you're not going to act appropriately, you're not going to get to be on this journey with me. And I will spend my time with other people who do act appropriately, right? That's blessing and releasing. He probably doesn't even know that I feel that way, to be honest, because yeah. I was just like, all right, man, I'll see you later. Take her easy. And he just hasn't gotten any messages from me since then yeah. right so so like that's blessing release wow gosh i wish we could talk all day thank you so so much for giving us this to know that you canceled the next one so we could dive even deeper just yeah. like brings joy to yeah. my heart so guys if you're listening to this episode this has been an absolute downpour uh, of amazingness of these pairs these analogies like there's so much that can be taken from this episode so pick one of those analogies put it in action for your life and be blessed by this i mean these things are the the building blocks that allowed buddy to go from zero to a billion dollars of acquisitions 
So guys, take action. Share it with somebody you know that can hold you accountable. This freedom is only uh, one action away. So guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.